0: Independent, expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Good evening, radio fans. My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all so thankfully without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight, on Independence Day, we are very happy to have Mitch Marine. There is no doubt that being a professional musician means taking all kinds of gigs. Gigs can be recording dates, playing live shows, teaching and performing in more unorthodox venues under sometimes dubious circumstances, anything to keep at it. One type of gig that nearly all musicians strive and starve for is called the gravy gig, a type of regular, well-paying situation that frequently brings in a reliable income and allows them relative freedom to pursue other musical goals without as much concern for its profitability. Drummer and producer Mitch Marine has been in the music business for nearly two decades when he got the call to join country pioneer Dwight Yoakam's band. Since then, Marine has recorded four albums with Yoakam, including 2012's acclaimed Three Pairs, and played hundreds of shows all over the world. It's a Class A gravy gig. And Maureen has used the stability that comes with playing with a major artist to build a respectable career as a producer and session drummer with a growing list of artists to his credit and a keen ear for polishing the music artists he produce the perfect amount. Welcome to Independence Day, wow. Mitch Marine.
1: Thank you very much. That was awesome. <laughs> <So> say That, <laughs> that to was your, great. <laughs> say
0: that to girls in bars, right? Wow. Get you dates. I so, man, that. thank you. It's so good to have you on here, man. Thank it's, you. And you've got such an interesting, interesting career in music because you said you've been, you've been at this for how long you say you toured in vans before you got the call for a band like like Dwight's?
1: Well, even long before Dwight, I did 13 years of touring around in vans. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Just hitting the clubs and everything and made an Eagle bus in 97, I guess it was, or something like that. Yeah. God, was it back then? 96. I think that was 96. (laughs) And I finally made it to an Eagle bus.
0: Yeah, making the jump from an Econoline to a Prevost. (sighs) is a big deal it is a for so it's 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 a a sea change for touring too because you know touring in a van I was just thinking about this today like you don't really have a home while you're out on the road like you when you when I say that is you can't just go hang out in the van before a show it's you're hanging in a van there's windows all over it's kind of uncomfortable you're cramped you know you're in the van enough as it is like so you kind of just go in the venue and find a place to hang out and you were doing this before everyone had laptops then too
1: yeah. I mean, I have to think – it's it, because it was so long ago, I'd have to re- think back about that. Uh, for me, the one thing that I noticed that's an interesting aspect of it is that you get to see a different part of the country depending on if you're traveling in a bus or if you're traveling right. in a van, Right. if you're traveling in a bus – and then, if you're fortunate enough to have that gravy gig, which I've never heard of that terminology before, but I love it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> is that yours or is that just something you've heard you before? No, that's what I've always called it. Okay. Maybe yeah.
0: it's original material.
1: I don't know. No, no, great. No, the gravy gig is the best way to describe it. And you're, you described it exactly right. We musicians look for any yeah. way. Uh, to be able to have the, the money that allows yeah. us the freedom to go ahead and do other musical ventures exactly like you said it, much better than I just did. Anyway, so then, now, luckily, with the gravy gig, there are times when I get to fly in on a private jet. Yeah. And actually, even after the, the, the bus is the regular uh, commercial jet, you see a certain part of the country that way. And then when you do a private jet, you see a completely different part of the country. So I have been very fortunate to have traveled... All around in all of these different situations, and really seeing completely different sides of San Francisco or Portland or yeah <laughs> Seattle or you know it's really crazy. Do in you think that it sense?
0: Do you think it makes you appreciate like the bus and the jet more, having done? Oh know, no, I absolutely,
1: absolutely. Yeah,
0: I mean it's such for people who haven't done this kind of thing. I mean it's hard to describe. Like when you're touring in a van, like you're you're constantly worried about the gear in the trailer. Or in the van. If you have a trailer. If you have a trailer or you know or the gear in the van getting stolen because it's yeah. a big deal. You hear about this all the time. It's happened to Wilco, it's happened to Cracker, it's happened to Sunvolt.
1: There's you could probably list off almost every major band You had. get good at learning. Tom
0: Petty got his guitar stolen a few years you, ago.
1: You get really good at learning how to back the van yeah. or trailer up against the walls. So no
0: yeah. You can get to yeah, it. Yeah, there's a whole
1: art to that, man.
0: And then you know then there's people steal stuff out of vans too. It's it's a very you know, it's it's like being out, you know, among the English Yeah. Or, you know, it's like a war almost. Yeah. But yet you do, you know, when you're at a bus, I mean, with the bus touring I've done, you wake up in your bunk next to the venue, like in the morning or at noon or whenever you're going to wake up. You know, so you're traveling. Usually that traveling is happening at night a lot of times. Right. So you play the show, and then the next show is generally, you know— Within an eight hour drive away, and the driver's up all night driving, and everyone else is sacked out in the back. So you don't get to see, you know, there's that whole phrase, been everywhere, seen nothing.
1: For that's sure. That's like a touring that, mantra. For sure, for sure, with that. I think yeah. that's the thing about being in a van yeah. is that you're driving, you're, you're sleeping, generally speaking, at least when I was doing it, it was like maybe drive another couple hours after the gig, sleep. Get up, start driving again to get, and, and you could only pace, you know, so many hours away. You would hope right. that it was maybe six hours or seven hour drive yeah. from gig to gig. Da, da, da. And in the van, you get to see a lot of stuff. You get to see all the billboards. You get to see everything. And maybe even take side little side trips like, oh, look at that place. Let's yeah. go check that out. And that's a lot of fun. Um, and of course, if you're on a bus, there are no windows and you're just, people will be either watching a movie or playing some sort of video game so you see yeah. nothing. Yeah. And then you get to the venue and it's you're usually stuck there cuz it's unless you somehow packed a bicycle or yeah. or something like that. You know, then you depending on what level you're at, you try to at least I do was try to get whatever I could out of being there, which is usually meaning like finding a runner that might take us to go golf. Anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Me to it was, do golf. It was golf. Anything, was golf.
0: Yeah. I would jog like even on bus tours, that was mm-hmm. for me a great way to see. Because you know, I'd wake up and I'd have an hour or two—not mm-hmm. long, just long enough to like get a, a run and a shower and mm-hmm. so in, in most cities, you know, I'm fairly good runner, so I you know I could do an hour run and mm-hmm. I could get three or more miles away from the venue, mm-hmm. which sometimes is a is a, you can see a lot of a city. Oh yeah, you know, just getting out and seeing what's there. You Know beautiful places in Massachusetts. I run up this river in Tokyo, uh, in Japan. Yeah, I've you know, a place like thing. Japan is totally cool because it's, it's, I mean, it's so different from where you go. And the only way to see it, you know, when you're in a car and it's all rushing past, it may look similar, but when you're running and not the people are looking at you, like, if, let me tell you, man, if you're a white dude oh, jogging yeah. through like Osaka or Nagoya somewhere someday, like, you
1: get some strange looks. Uh, I got, I got one jogging. for you. <laughs> I was there. Sorry, I keep hitting the table because I'm laughing and I hit those springs. Sorry, y'all. Anywho, um, so I'm in Japan. I'm with uh, Andy Timmons band, and uh, we, it's a guitar hero kind of thing, a guitar instrumental musician music. So anyway, so the bass player and I would would go jogging, and our whole thing was like we'd get up to a four-way stoplight, and whichever light was green is the direction we went, <laughs> Yeah, so it was just completely just random, just like okay, let's do this and try to figure our way, find our way back, and that was always pretty bizarre. And then sometimes if we got stuck at a, a red light, if it wasn't too obvious, I would try to get some pushups in or something like ah, that. You know, those I mean, crazy Americans. You know, so a, I did get some obsessed.
0: Of <laughs> oh my gosh, so silly. In, well, the, the weird thing that happened to me in Japan was I was jogging along. And they're, you know, in Japan, if there's if people are sick, they'll wear yeah, mm-hmm. they'll wear like a medical doctor's right. mask. I'm not sure a, what the technical term for that mask is. Uh, But I'd be jogging down the road and these young, these old women would run up to me with a mask like I'm going to wear a jogging mask or like a a doctor's (laughs) mask while I'm jogging. I'd suffocate. It's impossible. Uh, uh, But I, you know, so but I don't know a lick of Japanese. Right. So I would try to, you know, respectfully, you know, thank you, you know, arigato or whatever. But but no, I'm not wearing your mask. I'm jogging, man. Leave me alone. Anyway, so I want to, you know, this I'm talking with Mitch Marine. His, uh, his gravy gig, his main yes. gig, he has been the drummer for Dwight Yoakam's band. Perhaps you've heard of him. Uh, for about the past 10 years or so, he's done four records with Dwight and mm-hmm. a bunch of tours with Dwight. Brand new record came out just last year, and they're touring all through this summer. But I want to give everyone a little taste of Dwight so we know what we're talking about. And this is you. Mr. Mitch Marine yes, it is. playing on a Dwight Yoakam track. The track we're going to play here, I'm going to play something from Three Pairs, which is the most recent record. So this is the title track from Dwight Yoakam's Three Pairs with Mitch Marine on drums here on Independence Day.
2: Three pairs of glasses, three pairs of shades, three pairs of other things, are all there in space, three pairs of shoeless feet, three mindless dogs.
0: My name is Joe Armstrong, and that is Dwight Yoakam. Tonight's guest here in Independence Day is Mr. Mitch Marine. He's the drummer for Dwight and his band. He's been with him for about ten years, done four albums and countless shows. Do you have any idea how many shows you've done nope. with Dwight, any, even Paul <laughs>
1: Park, at <it> all? <laughs> Do you guys know? What, I mean, what you average a year, you think? No, I don't. Maybe hundred <laughs> dates. Uh, maybe not quite. Maybe uh, we're getting busy. The last two years have been busy. Yeah, well, the, there's the
0: whole album cycle. Yeah, You know, he's a major artist. It's different for a major artist than it is for someone, you know, kind of farther down the chain. Like, you do an album, then you tour on it. Plus, he's also, I mean, he's got to the point where I'd call him a legacy artist.
1: Uh, I would not say so. I I know. believe it, sure. He's course, been around
0: absolutely. for 20-plus years. He's got built-in fans. He doesn't have to release any more albums. People would come see him play, even if he didn't have a new record.
1: Yeah, that's definitely the best part about him is we're always trying new stuff, and he's yeah. wanting to record and you know, I'm, it's awesome. It's You really can't ask for any yeah. better gravy gig in the sense that there is the built-in audience of the people that already show up. But we're seeing uh, the effects of this record. We're seeing uh, more young people, more people that we haven't ever seen before, people singing along to the new song. The reactions to us playing new songs is always positive. It is, people aren't, like, walking out, yeah. getting their beer or whatever. Yeah, and
0: it's not a bunch of, like, old bikers. Or like old cowboy types. Like that's the interesting thing about Dwight, and was always interesting thing about him is from the beginning, you know, his music is very traditional. You know, it's like up until recently, you know, but right. we'll, we'll talk about three pairs in a second. Mm-hmm. But you know, historically speaking, his record is just pretty much kind of straight up Bakersfield is how, especially how he started. Mm-hmm. You know, mixing a little bit of that '80s thing because that's where he, that's kind of when he got his start. But he, you know, he was playing rock clubs and playing with punk bands on the bill you know, with him from the get-go. So he's somehow, I don't want to call him a rebel, but he's definitely bucked the system, and he beat it. It's like he's outlasted
1: his critics. He's bucked, he, I mean, like, if I were to describe it, I would describe it as he bucked the uh, Nashville yeah. country system in the sense that um, he did it out, well, clearly, he did it outside of, out of Nashville. But at the time that he came around, I was in a band touring at all these different clubs and at that time it was not uncommon to have you would go to a show and there'd be four or five bands playing and they might be and they kind of stretch the boundaries of a lot of stuff but the whole point was you were there to hear all this new stuff there was a a lot of exciting new music that was happening that people were expecting to hear uh, at the clubs and you didn't necessarily go see like four metal bands yeah it would be so it, it wasn't while it was uncommon, maybe in Nashville world, for a country band to be playing with some of like X or with uh, Los Lobos or with replacements or with punk bands, if you were playing the clubs, you you expected that you would. If if you went to First Street uh, uh, Seventh Street uh, yeah. Entry or First Avenue or the yeah, Metro or, yeah, or Nine Thirty or in the tree uh, trees in Dallas Forty uh, Watt. Uh, 40 Watt, that's Athens, right? Yeah. Then there was uh, Club Foot, and I mean, you would expect that. You yeah. just expected to see an interesting night of music. Yeah. So it was a cool time for, and uh, <clears throat> it was a fertile time for him to come in and do it that way to where there was such a an appreciation for the honesty. And that's what people were really looking for, I thought. That's, that's what I found. Yeah. You know, and of the honesty and the sincerity that at some point, Nashville just didn't have a choice but to, like, embrace yeah. it because he's it was good. So damn good. He's good. <laughs> Sorry that, for well, my French there.
0: No, but. and that's just it. Well, he's literally and
1: figuratively outside of Nashville.
0: Yeah. You know, he's from, yeah. cause Kentucky originally, area? Kentucky. Ohio. Uh, Southern oh, Ohio. He's from Ohio.
1: Kentucky, uh, born there, moved to Ohio in yeah. grade school or something around yeah. there. Uh, out of high school, uh, from Columbus, and yeah Los Angeles and then
0: Ben made his career mm-hmm. essentially out here Absolutely. so he's, he's he's been apart from Nashville Nashville has a lot of great things about it, but it can be kind of a machina you know Nashville it, yeah,
1: Nashville's an awesome place and it but it's just like any other town it's just like you work with your friends and that's what you want to do so if you you know if you're in Nashville if you want to my advice to anybody that usually wants to says they want to have success in the country industries well then go to Nashville and start being friends with the people that are yeah. successful in the Nashville country music industry yeah. and work there yeah yeah indeed and let's now let's fast forward a little bit this other
0: this, than this, Dwight don't know. do that Dwight <laughs> <laughs> stay Dwight stay here don't, don't uh, go uh let's talk about three pairs okay. this record which is the newest Dwight record sure and just came out last year and it's got a lot of accolades to it because when i first put it on it's it's barely country it seems it's essentially a rock album played kind of twangily mm-hmm. it seems to with me with Dwight singing it with Dwight singing it in his in his right. in his classic you know Bakersfield drawl i mean where when he brought this music to you guys as the band i mean did he come in and say you know let's turn our amps up and make a rockish record or did he just show up and play the music and count off and that's what happened? Like, was this a planned thing, or was it something that just kind of happened organically
1: in the studio? Yes. Okay. It was uh, a good bit of both. Uh, Dwight listens to everything. He listens to all kinds of music. And um Do you have any Wu-Tang Clan in his uh There might be. Collection? There might be. There might be something like I mean, there's something like that somehow, someway. Uh, and it, like even... Just a side note, like I was at a party, I'm going to drop a couple awesome names here. So I'm at a party up in the Hollywood Hills, and Herbie Hancock comes up to me and is introduced by a mutual friend, and uh, so we're talking, and she says, hey, you know, he plays drums with Dwight, oh, tell Dwight, I said, "I said hi, because I, I really like Dwight, he's a nice guy, and I like his music, and, and, and you know, Dwight knows about Herbie Hancock, yeah. of course, and jazz, and so... Dwight's very aware of really talented, awesome musicians and artists. He's very aware and likes all that stuff. And going back to this, the original story. Sorry, kids. Um, we were listening to. He was listening to a lot of Beatles, really, really listening to a lot of Beatles and '60s rock type stuff. Even um, you know, Doug Sum. yeah, uh, Sir Douglas Quintet, and yeah. just all kinds of stuff like that. And that's just so when he. Brought out the casino guitar and started playing some of these things. It made sense. It sounded right. And we all fell in to where he was going because we all listen to that kind of music. We all have a a strong pop sensibility in the band. And so, yeah, he kind of, I mean, we kind of knew where he was going, but it, it was developed in the studio song by song.
0: Yeah, and the band is, is kind of a younger generation than he is now. Well, he's a little, not myself, but. <laughs> well, he's,
1: he's a little older than you, is he not? You know? A few. Yeah. But not like Brian or Jonathan yeah. or Eugene.
0: Yeah. And we're talking about other people I've actually had on this show. Uh-huh. We've had Mr. Whelan, who was one of my first guests. Mm-hmm. I'd call Brian a friend. Mm-hmm. Again, saying on my record, even, believe it or not. Good uh, for you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's great. He's great. And uh, Eugene Edwards, uh-huh. excellent guitar player, good uh-huh. human being. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the rest of the cats I don't know as well. It's just one, Jonathan. Jonathan, but yeah. So, uh, it's it's interesting because you know for so long it seemed Dwight had the same band for a really long time, and then things started to kind of change and fall away. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, look at what look what he got out of it. Three pairs is just. You know, I challenge someone who's, if they're, they if they say they're not a country music fan, like say they're a rock fan or a pop fan, for example, mm-hmm. put that, put the Three Pairs record on and see if their toes don't start to happen. Right. It's badass, man. Oh, thank you. It's great. It's really, really good stuff. And I, when I, you know, the first notes of that record, I knew right away it was going to be a slight departure, but not a logical departure, perhaps,
1: you know? Yeah. I, you know, he always just does what he wants to do and what. You know that's the best part about Dwight as an artist. He's very true to exactly how he feels at the time. There's no doubt about it.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. He's you know you've earned your stripes playing in vans. He's earned his stripes playing a million shows for twenty years, making a bunch of songs, writing great songs, entertaining us all. You know, and acting. Good God, he's actually quite quite a good
1: actor. Yeah, I'm not a. professional uh, critic of actors but I always like him in movies yeah Loves indeed so
0: you know in, in contrast I want to play a little bit of this track this is uh, Three Good Reasons from oh, okay. Blame the Vein so how long ago was this maybe this is 2005
1: this maybe 2004 seven years ago maybe 2004. Or so. 2004
0: okay so was this where was this in your tenure with the with the basically, band basically
1: this was like me coming in playing the first record
0: okay so great this is a good place to go uh-huh. let's talk about this because after this tune I want to get into like the other stuff that you do not sure. just the Dwight stuff Okay. Uh, You know, playing, you're a producer. Yes. You know, you've you've done, you're a lifer in the music business. And you do a lot of different things. So Dwight is the gravy gig. Yes. Which sets up, you know, your ability to do all these other things. So this is also Dwight Yoakam, amazing artist. This is Mr. Mitch Marine. He plays drums on this track. This is Three Good Reasons, Dwight Yoakam, here on Independence Day. Dwight Yoakam once again, man. If that doesn't get your toe tapping, I don't know what will. That's it's it's like amped up honky tonk music. Yeah, it's I love it. So great because that's that song. one thing that's great about Dwight. He knows guitar tone, you know. So he he knows what he's talking about, and he, mm-hmm. he has great players. He's always had great players all the way through. Pete Anderson, Keith Gaddis, Eugene. You know, the guy knows his way around a band, how to get a yeah. band together. So you know, I can't speak highly enough for that. But let's let's bring this back to you, man. You've been doing okay. this a long time. Dwight's not everything that you do. You've been producing records. How long have you been producing artists?
1: I started producing in 97 uh, an artist named Brian Hauser in Texas. Okay. Uh, And then shortly thereafter that uh, an artist named Elizabeth Wills out of Texas. And uh, that's kind of – I started doing – when I was uh, in Brave Combo, it was always kind of a band produced a little bit. I mean, always the leader, (laughs) Carl Finch. Would kind of have the say, so, but we all kind of helped produce in a in a little bit of a way, and and that can nece- is it necessarily a good thing? When yeah, <laughs> five producers, hang yeah, out. a
0: lot of cooks in the kitchen there,
1: <laughs> but yeah. So I kind of learned about it though with my time with uh, Brave Combo and the records that we were doing, just how the process is, and and <clears throat> for me, it's about just uh, trusting my instinct whatever happens while we're in, stu- in the studio recording and stuff is just trusting my instinct
0: always is- yeah your instincts are good thank I you was previewing this stuff you've got a you know it's somewhat similar stylistically but you have a you have a, a deft touch with doing this and being mm, a, thank bro- you producers you're welcome Pro- producing is a, is a strange kind of voodoo art people who don't do it or know what it is or how have, have ever produced or you know, have been produced by somebody. Really, don't know what that even means. I mean, it's kind of how would you describe the process of producing a record? Like an artist comes to you and say, "Mitch, will you produce my album?" What would you describe to someone? You're at a, you're at a Christmas party and someone's like, "Oh, you produce albums? What does that mean?" What would you tell them?
1: For me, um, it has been particularly about uh, I'm working with a friend ultimately, and as a friend, I'm. I'm concerned about what he wants to do with this final product. What are we doing? What are we or trying she. to get, or she? What are we trying to do? What, where do you want to be five years from now? How, how can I give you something that allows you to be where you want to be in five years? So, with taking that into consideration, and then I listen to the songs and try to package it and try to help do all that stuff. But when it comes to specifically the music side of it, generally speaking, Coming from a drummer's perspective, um, I kind of like to have the music feel like m- I like the idea that it's a music that's uh, moving people and people can dance to or move to. Mainly <laughs> thinking about like what will get chicks excited to dance. You know, I mean, I, <laughs> it all comes I'll down, just down to say chicks, that. Man. I'll just go ahead and say that. That's exactly how all <laughs> comes <laughs> down like... to chicks. So
0: I have a friend who's got this theory that the entire the entire economy of the world is is based on women. Because sure. women buy stuff and men want to buy stuff for women to impress the women, so really it's what chicks want. Yeah, that's that's what it all comes down to, I think.
1: Yeah, I think he's right. Well, I mean, so so at least it joking, sounded right in the bar yeah. when we were talking. Jokingly, about it. I say that, but there, but again, I'm a drummer, so it, it's not on. You know, it makes sense that I would like to have music that's really powerful somehow, yeah. some
0: way. It's got a dri- more driving yeah. beat that generally gets, gets
1: people moving,
0: but then. You know, so I'm I'm still that person at the Christmas party, and I'm like, okay, but what, is, but what does that really mean, though? Like, when an artist comes to you, I mean, do you finish, help them finish their songs? Do you, you know, how much of a hands-on approach do you have with that? Do you make suggestions and say, well, that song's great, but it needs a bridge? I've done that do you, before. Or do yeah. you say, like, oh, that's great, but this needs to be keyed up a whole step to get your voice into that right? Place. Yeah, you know this needs bagpipes on it. Whatever.
1: Right. I mean, ultimately, it's a a, a bit of all that stuff because a lot of times you, are, I find myself uh, making sure that I make that per, that artist feel good about what they're doing and pull out what I think is the best part of them that maybe hasn't been heard um, and things that I think is unique about them that I'd like to maybe like shine a light on. But I. But at the same time, it's. Every artist is so different that you have to just, that I personally, with all the people I've worked with, have just handled them as who they are and as an individual, figure out what it is that we're trying to get together and package, listen to their songs, figure out which ones make the most sense in that package, try to make it an interesting, since we're, I'm still making records with people and we're not just doing one song. So then I am still very conscious of like, what does it sound like as a package does it make sense that this that these 10 songs are all together? Is If we pick the best package of songs and then arrangement and all that stuff, and is it an interesting song? So if we need to change the keys for vocals or not, or just to make it more interesting or change the grooves or whatever, just to keep it an interesting record.
0: Yeah, so let's let's play a little something you're working on here. Mm-hmm. This record, this uh, Jimmer mm-hmm. record, his last name is Pradosky, which is a great Chicago name if I ever <laughs> say, yeah, Jimmer Pradosky. From down there on Lockport, I can't, I can't resist saying the Polish last name with the <laughs> Chicago accent, man. But uh, you know, this is a record. You know, have you this first record you've done with Jimmer?
1: This is first record. Yeah, Jimmer was the uh, lead singer for a band called the Rave Ups. Okay, and positively lost on me was their big hit with um, and "Pretty in Pink." Oh, okay, so that's a while ago. It was a while ago. Yeah, "Pretty Pink" was like it high was school. A, it for it me, was. A, man. It was a while ago.
0: So, but he's been playing all this time. No. Okay.
1: He's, so he's, he's been. he's Kind of took a leave of absence. That's kind of the deal with the band. He basically had a son. He basically had a son come into his life around the same time that the band was starting to hit, and he just was in a position where he needed to be a father. Yeah. So, which the, is a noble choice. Very noble choice. It's a good kid, and you know he did a good job. And yeah, but and, he's back.
0: Playing but music. Now he's back.
1: He's playing music. Uh, so, but he's got. You're working on this new record with yes. him. What?
0: How far into the completion of this record? I would you I just gave say it to
1: Rainbow, Rainbow Records. <laughs> they said seven weeks for to print LPs, okay. something like that. That's crazy. Okay. But CD should be pr- printed. I don't know, maybe a few weeks. Three. Okay.
0: So the record itself is done, mastered, yes. and all. Mastered and all so so artwork, this, everything. It is in what we call replication. Awesome. That's that's the technical term because okay. it's not even just duplication is something different than replication <laughs> technically speaking. But this is uh, the track is called Empty. It's produced by Mitch Marine, also Dwight Yoakam's drummer. And uh, we're talking about him producing some records. The record will be called Would Be Plans. The artist is Jimmer, and that's due out sometime, probably midsummer to late summer. I'm yeah, guessing. Yeah. Right, like that. So let's give this a spin. We may not play this whole thing, but I want to hear what this is all about. This is Empty by Jimmer on Independence Day.
2: as a gun After the shooting spree is done And when the blue black night is gone I feel as empty as the dawn And I know
0: So tell me a little bit about this. I mean, we talked about where he came from, and this is this organ player is something special. Tell me who this is.
1: Yeah, that's Rami from the Wallflowers. Yeah, and, the, 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 um, the
0: guy who played with them for a long time. Oh yeah, like the main guy.
1: And the Foo Fighters. He yeah. also plays
0: with them. Yeah. Excellent Hammond organ player, like traditional style, like actual Hammond, the big 450. Awesome. Piece.
1: The guy's the guy's great. It sounds awesome. How it's did so you good. get hooked up with him for this? Well, um, I did the record with Brian Wheelan. And uh, Ted Russell Camp?
0: Yes, of course.
1: So we recorded five songs a day, got 10 songs done in two days with Jimmer playing uh, electric guitar. And basically how we did it, was, this was a really, really fun session. So how, basically how we did it, we'd play. Jimmer and I did a lot of pre-production to be ready to get in the studio. So I had all the charts, ready to go, got the guys. All right. And basically, what I told everybody was, as long as the red light is on, but especially with these guys, they're really, really talented. I said, "You got something, and we're recording it." I don't, you know. So basically, how it worked was, we would just start with uh, whatever song, first song up. So as I'm laying down the drum tracks, and we've got uh, the maybe you know, Jimmer doing this vocal and electric thing, just so we have a guide to how he, his, tracks, uh, his approach. We call and, those. Right so we as i'm so he would be done with what he got done with and, and we would use that as our as our like our work. base, yeah our framework so then if i'm still continuing to to work on my drum track maybe ted got done with the bass part and now he'll move over to the keyboards uh brian would have done maybe an acoustic track or two every time i'm doing drums it's, so then those guys are multi-instrument instrumentalists and they're really really super talented so they're just jumping around the studio playing whatever while i'm doing drum tracks making sure i'm super happy with that and plus that was as it was being built i'd be like oh i I could tell if i did this again with what you've just been doing it's going to be better so So you're
0: overdubbing drum parts then as well not really
1: overdubbing i'm just making sure i might get 10 i might do 10 passes okay so that's 10 times those guys could be playing something so, you know, an acoustic track, you know, if they need to do a quick fix on whatever they did, they would stop, do the quick fix, but then they pick up another instrument. And then as they're picking up instruments, I might play percussion and so on and so forth. So basically we got everything done other than vocals and some Hammond organ stuff that we wanted eventually finished in, in um, two days. It was very efficient. And we didn't move to the, to the next song until that song was done. We did everything. And then we move on to the next song. So it was really fast, really efficient. It was a lot of fun. We, everybody really had a great time. It's really fun watching those guys just grab another instrument, play yeah. something awesome. I like can imagine thing. it's
0: almost like being a kid in a candy shop, uh, producing it's... a record with guys like Brian Whelan and Ted yeah. Russell Camp, because these guys are supremely talented. They're like, you know, there's, have you ever watch The Wire? No. TV show, great TV show uh, about like urban decay in Baltimore. And there's a thing they call natural police, hmm. which is someone who's like, essentially born to be a cop. Right. You know, not in a bad way, in a good way. Right. Like they know, it's it's not just something that they learned how to do, it's an innate tendency they have in their soul. These guys are natural musicians. They just, they, I was, this comes up all the time, like Brian Whelan could probably make in, you know, music with his pen. Right. You know, that would sound better than a lot of... Practice musicians on their actual instrument right it's just just it just pours out of these guys right so I mean, as a producer that must have been just
1: fascinating to even watch yeah it, it was it was fun just be, and, and as a producer it was fun also in the sense that I got I got to watch Jimmer who was like doubting the whole thing like well we're gonna get no what and I'm like you just wait yeah. <laughs> and then and then as the day goes on his just seeing his eyes go oh my god this is really yeah. happening this is just yeah. like <laughs> he just... That's really great. So after we got those basic tracks and I listened to it and figured out a few songs that I wanted to hear some some Arami uh, play an organ and stuff. So just sent those tracks off to him and he did it at his studio.
0: But how did you get hooked up with him? You just know him from uh, we, yeah, the business? I've just been yeah.
1: I mean, we've played music together with Keith Gaddis, used him a lot, and I've been out to his studio and hung. Where with does him. he live? Uh, Rami, yeah, Rami Santa Monica.
0: Okay, so he's in maybe guy. Malibu,
1: Santa Monica, somewhere out there. Okay, yeah, is he still wallflowering it as I understand it? Yeah, okay. I mean, between Foo Fighters and Wallflowers. Okay, although Foo Fighters, I don't think are playing all that much right now.
0: Yeah, so I mean, it's and it's I'm happy, I'm always happy to hear a guy like him because I learned about him from the Wallflowers very mm-hmm. early on mm-hmm. because I'm a big um. Ben Monttench fan, and he was kind of like the next generation Mm -hmm. of Ben Monttench, doing something very similar, always tasteful, always playing the right thing, you know, not expanding the capabilities of the organ, but just doing what it should be doing, which is already an amazing thing. I mean, the Hammond organ is such a dynamic, crazy instrument Mm -hmm. with all these different things you can do that come with it. It's not like you need to run it through a bunch of pedals. It's like all the drawbars and the tremolo and the the key click and all those different things. just a One of my favorite instruments of all time. And
1: he's just stupid good at it too. Yeah. I mean, it's like I sent it off to him. He sent me two or three, I mean, maybe, maybe three passes, but the first pass was just awesome.
0: (laughs) Let me give a shout out. There's a guy on both of my records, and I've recommended him to a lot of guys. He's from Chicago. His name is Daryl Coots. C O U T T S, I believe. And he's just he's just like that. He's like a savant. His dad's a piano tuner. I think he's done some tuning himself. Uh, just a savant musician. I've never heard the guy play a wrong note. Like, I, I bring him in for sessions, and he just does it. Like, I don't even have to question it, you know? Just, hey, man, I give him a couple little things. Like, I want you to hit this here. I want a big chord there. I want lots of swoops, and I want you to change the drawbars a lot and go. And everything he does is great. Like, the hardest thing is come mix down time, I have to figure out which awesome track I'm going to use mm-hmm. by Daryl Coots. I imagine Rami's the same way. Yeah. 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 So many great musicians in this town. So let's play a little bit more. This is another artist you've been working with, it's Dan Byrne. Yes. This is a track. Uh, this is a guy. He's been around a long time. Uh, so what's
1: you know how did how did he come to you? So Dan Byrne came to me because I became obsessed with the movie Walk Hard, and in particular the soundtrack That's a the Walk yeah.
0: of Walk Hard, the John C. Riley kind of spoof yeah. of Walk Tall,
1: Dewey walking. Dewey Cox. Yeah, the Dewey Cox story. <laughs> And I just loved the soundtrack. It was just, I mean, because I loved the songs and I loved the concept of them creating a catalog for this guy. And it was, I mean, like every single song they came up with, it was like, God, it's a hit. It would have been a hit back then. They were all so awesome. And then they recorded it to, to be exact of that era and stuff. It was just like, so anyway, um, I also started kind of getting bummed out because I could tell it was a Los Angeles it wasn't a Nashville-based record. I was like, "This must be a bunch of guys in LA." So I looked at it, and <laughs> I, you know, I looked it up and Wikipedia'd it, and saw all the names on there. I was like, "I don't know any of these people," and that's just terrible. And even worse, even worse is that they don't know me because I'm like, you know, I'm I'm played drums with Dwight Yoakam. I should maybe get a call or two about some of this kind of music, you know. So anyway. Um, so I found Dan Byrne's name and his, you know, the stuff that he had done for the for the movie. He wrote a lot of songs for the movie. And I just found his email and just wrote it out to him and said, hey, you know, if you ever need uh, a drummer, percussionist, bass player, producer, guy to, that understands your music and you're coming to LA, I would love to meet you and play music with you. It'd be great. And then he emailed me back and we got together and we started talking and hanging out and we decided... I should produce a record for him. And that's what I'm doing.
0: Just how it happens, man. And that's just it. You know, people don't realize how important just reaching out to people is. Because, you know, usually really great musicians are oftentimes really cool people, too. You know, with with a few exceptions, of course. Uh, you know, people who are working in this business. Because you don't, a lot of times, unless you're super, super ridiculous, good. you don't keep working if you're a jerk. I would think, yeah. Unless you're really,
1: Yeah. I don't. I'm lucky. I don't really know many jerks. I must yeah. admit.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what exactly it. Like, unless you're super ridiculously stupendously good, nobody wants to work with you. If right. You know. Otherwise. Uh. So. Uh. You know. So this is Dan Byrne. Let's play a little bit. We'll talk a little bit more okay. about this after it comes up. Mm-hmm. This is a track called "Grandpa." The record is called "Ivan's Barbershop. It's also due out. When is this one due out, Mitch?
1: Oh uh, well. Is this that, done? It, it, it's. There are a couple. There are two more songs that have to be mixed.
0: Okay, so this is this is in and not quite as complete. No, not still in the dry dock. Yes. So maybe by the end of the year, maybe hopefully. All right. So, uh, Independence Day. This is Joe Armstrong. I'm talking with Mitch Marine. He is Dwight Yoakam's drummer, also an excellent producer uh, and drummer in his own right for other things. This is the track "Grandpa." The artist is Dan Byrne. The album is Ivan's Barbershop. You can pick this up hopefully by the end of the year here on Independence Day. Okay, so he's back there. He's like yelling at the band. So this is fairly live, I take it. Then, or is this something he overdubbed with the owl? The owl. Called? I'm
1: so glad you asked that question. No, this record was done completely with everybody at their home studios. Okay. Yeah, that's that was the hard thing about that. That was fun, but it was not an easy thing to to do.
0: Yeah, and see, that's the thing about producing in 2013 or in the past few years is that it's changed. Drastically, a lot of a lot of people produce themselves now, and it doesn't, you know, and it's like so many things in the modern music business. Sometimes that's great because we get people doing things that never would have been done before, and sometimes it's not that great because it's there's an art to producing
1: something. This was a, I mean, this is an, uh, an example of using um, technology to our advantage for the power of good this and is not using the power it of to evil. our advantage, basically. He didn't have any money and I didn't have any money. <laughs> we wanted to make a record. Yeah. And as we were collecting songs and talking about it, um, I I said, you know, basically I've used up all my favors with two previous records that of so I can't ask my friends to do free records. <laughs>
0: free records anymore. Yeah. So uh, not everybody has a gravy gig. They need to earn a living doing yeah, this. Yeah,
1: and and I'd already done it. I already bugged him about it. And and I don't like getting called to to ask to be doing free records all the time and stuff like that. So I'll anyway. So uh he picked out some of his friends. Guitar player is a friend of his from Portland. Uh we he I played drums at my studio. I have a home studio. So I played drums and I played bass. Sent it off to him. He Played acoustic guitars and electric guitars and some pedal steel, lap steel. Then I redid the drums, redid the bass, and sent it off to a friend of mine that plays keys. Uh, um, then that fiddle player is Gabe Witcher. I, that's I got him to do it. So basically, but all these people were just in their home studios. And I just said, if I make it really easy for you and send it to you, will you please put a track on it? Yeah, and, and they did. So, uh, And then it just took time to massage everything. And the thing that I did to make what I feel makes it sound like we were all recording together is I redid the drums every time somebody put something on it yeah. because it would just keep tightening it up and tightening it up. That way it sounded like, I mean, it was. It was like the drummer knew what the guys were going to be doing because we'd been rehearsing it. Yeah, It allowed me to kind of like help make that happen.
0: And that's just like you said, using the power, you know, the power of technology, for good and to facilitate things. Because we can, you can do so much with that now. Like we were talking about Daryl Coots before. There's a lot of great organ players here in Los Angeles. But I'd worked with Daryl before in a couple projects when I did my last record, and called up because I, I had just a great experience working with him. Plus, I get to see the guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like a friend that I don't see that very often. So, and plus, I get to go to Chicago, which is my hometown. It's nice to see a bunch of folks go to the. But I hang at the places I like to hang at. So I got him talking to it. He was living at a place where he could do the organ tracks in his house. He's got a real, actual Hammond, real Leslie, the whole plus a world of tour piano. He's got everything I needed his house to do all the keyboards for the record, essentially. So I packed up my little M-Box, my laptop, a few mics that fit in my backpack, and off I went to Chicago. And I did the did, you know, just set that stuff up in random places. I did background chick singers in the Leo Burnett building. There's some you know, chick singers I liked in yeah. Chicago, too. So you can do these things anywhere now. It's really, really changed how we can do this. So uh, you said you've got a, a studio at home. The rest of these projects we're talking about here, we're going to talk about Brian Whelan's new record mm-hmm. in just a minute, mm-hmm. um, You know the, the Jimmer stuff and the Burn stuff. Are you doing these... In different studios. No, the Jimmer,
1: the Jimmer stuff is is a studio in Echo Park. Okay. With uh, Mark Rains as the engineer and the owner. Okay. Station, the station house, and that's yeah. where I'm working with Brian currently. Okay. We're working on the new record there, and we really love that studio. Mark is awesome. He has a great dog named Darkness. Hello, Darkness. <laughs>
0: Love dogs, man. Um, the Independence Day show. Let me let me go on
1: record and say the Independence Day show is a friend of all dogs. Everywhere. Awesome. Darkness is a great dog. So, a great studio dog. So, but uh, so he's got great mics, great rooms. Got a great ear. He uh, he's a drummer. He understands drums, and he's got a drum set there, and they're oh, and it's killer. It's like a he's got a few that that are just awesome, and it's always set up ready to go, and he knows how. To, so, I picked that for the Jimmer records specifically, to be able to get five songs done a day, in, you know, and get ten, 10 songs done in two days was because I didn't want to spend hours hitting the kick drum going, is it ready yet? Does it sound good enough yet? Is it ready?
0: Yeah, if you don't have to fix it, like if it's already ready to rock, that saves you so much time because so much time in the studio is spent piddling around getting sounds. Oh, man. And if someone knows their room,
1: knows their mics, and knows it's their, their drums, rams, and it's already drums. set up, I mean, it's just... Oh, it was so easy. Worth every penny. Oh, yeah. Well, it saved a lot of money is what it did. It yeah, just, yeah. you know, it made it and, and and again, so and it wasn't at any kind of sacrifice of sound. That was the best part about it. it was like, wow, it's and it's gonna sound better, you know. it's like so. Um anyway, uh that's where I that's what the Jimmer record and the Brian Whelan record's that. The Dan Byrne record is everybody, you know, getting themselves out of bed and into their home yeah. studio and r- doing some tracks for me and yeah. sending them back.
0: And knowing myself. Yeah, knowing your way around the gear, knowing your way around songs, yeah, boy, knowing oh, your boy. way around the industry allows you as a producer to make them all hang together, whether they're done at the station house or whether they're done in people's home studios. There are things you can do. Yeah, you know, I to, mean, to make it sound real and like, well, it is real. You know, it's all real. These are all right. real players. None of this is computerized or right. none of this sequenced or anything like that. So you're just, you know, keep keeps
1: using this phrase over and over again. You're using technology for the power of good. Yeah. You but know? I mean, but even at that last song in particular, the, the, when we first did it, we, it was just one solo. It, it was a really fast, in, quick song when it's one solo. But then I heard, I was like, man, get Gabe on here to, to do it. And, you know, I just created another space for a solo and stuff like that and just you can do stuff yeah if you know what you're if you have a little bit of knowledge of like how a song is formed you just know what to do what to what's important to grab if you need to extend or shorten anything as you're working on stuff and as you're editing as you're building the song if you can't do it together as a band well then you gotta you want to do it some way so if you have to figure it out after the fact and at least the tools now allow us to do that
0: and technology has always dictated what we could do in music You know, at one point, there was one mic in the middle of the room, (laughs) and that was the technology. And that's what we worked with as musicians. Now, this is way before my time, but they would put a mic up, and Frank or Bing or whoever would stand really close to that mic, right? And then, you know, the next quietest instrument or the next most important instrument that was somewhat quiet would be the next closest instrument, and the drums were way in the back, and everybody, that's how they did it. Technology has always dictated how we made music just as commerce has dictated you know how we hear a lot of our music or if we hear it at all mm-hmm. you know so working working with that can be a very creative process you know and i wonder you know what do you think the beatles would have done you know what if john lennon had an mbox you know <laughs> or john lennon had access to the type of technology we had now
1: what do you think they would have come up with lord knows but they would have used it as they did i mean that's the funny thing that for me personally, that I think about sometimes when people say that, you know, I don't know about digital music or, or, or the fact that technology, you know, it's just too much now or whatever. You just use what I don't know. I don't see a reason why not to use the best of the best if it sounds good. If it, yeah. if it doesn't sound good, then don't use
0: if it. If it sounds good, it is good. That's been yeah. my mantra with this type of stuff. And even, I dare say, auto tune, the power of auto tune can be used for good. It oh, just, absolutely. It's just so often is misused and is horrifically abused. I mean, you can he- once you know what it is and you've worked with it on the front end of it, you can hear it on the back end. Mm-hmm. I mean if it's abused especially if you use it yeah. subtly you don't notice. Hmm. But you know there's a whole style of singing that's grown up around autoTune. people. Yeah. kids are coming in now I was talking to a producer recently where kids were coming in and singing tracks. And the guy's like, well, why are you singing like that? Because that's he's a really young right, kid. Yeah. And that's how he's heard music right. sounds to him. That's right. he's doing things with his voice to emulate what people are doing to their other people's voices by kind of bending the laws of physics with this autotune program. But that's normal. So that's how kids I mean, say kids like the all little bastards, but yeah, <laughs> there it's you know it's it's that's what technology's always been. It's they've played off each other. Right, you know, we've had to do it that way. Records were a certain length because that's all they could fit on a disc. Yeah, you know, and it just happens to be that what I, I think what people you know I, I'm glad to hear that you're recording full albums because I think music is consumed best in chunks. You know, like we can we can handle like four or five tunes and then we get a little breather. While we flip it over or cassette or whatever, the discs sometimes you know, like you'll see people's CDs are sequenced
1: that way. Side A, side B. It makes sense to our brains. But the to, Jimmer uh, C D is specifically that way. Yeah. I almost we almost had it made with two discs as a side A, okay. side B. Because, th- because it really and we sequenced it as an LP. We thought about it as an I mean, just because when we made it, we just we were talking about how awesome it was when you bought the record. And you were super stoked and super excited and you'd go all the way home and you might call and you get home, you call someone and go, I got it. You know, your best buddy that you would share music with and you'd be like, I'll be right over. And you come over and then you have your spot right in front of the right spot of the speakers. You take it out, of the, you put it on and, and you'd sit and listen to the whole thing. Oh, it was awesome. You know, you get done, you pick it up and flip it over, listen to the next side, you know. Yeah. It was a great experience. And um, so, yeah, that's how I listen to – with the people I've produced so far, that's what we've tried to do is make that kind of record. I just like that. It may not be the wisest choice nowadays with the way the business is, but um, I still think that's it's – a, it's a valid way of like presenting. I think it's a cool, nice presentation, and I like it that way.
0: Well, the people who are really into music are going to buy those anyway, because a lot of times if I like an artist, if I really like an artist, odds are I'm going to like another song by that artist. And if I love a song by an artist, and I mean love with a big capital L... Mm -hmm there's a really good chance I'm going to want to hear other things by that artist. And then the, my favorite artists are the ones where the whole album hangs together, and you know it was crafted that way. Mm-hmm. And you listen to it from start to finish right. as an active listener. Right. You know, it's not just on while you're vacuuming or right. washing
1: the dishes. But it's hard for any of us. But that was one thing uh, Jimmer and I talked about. It's really hard for anybody, I think, to find that kind of time that we used to 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 really, uh, deli- you know, take out of our day you know we're gonna listen to this record I mean it was so it was nothing to think about that before but now if you're like well how long is this record Yeah, 40 minutes wow like from beginning to end like I can't like check my yeah. email or my text messages or i can't <laughs> call or i can't you do know it. No, no, no. for the next 40 minutes you have to sit here and listen to this record you're like yeah. ooh, sheesh
0: vinyl is <laughs> vinyl has done has filled that niche for me because there's there's different types of listening like if i'm literally vacuuming or washing mm-hmm. the dishes i'll put a cd on because mm-hmm. i don't have to i've got a, a carousel changer with like five discs and i that way i can clean the whole house without having to get up and putz around with the with the turntable but when I really want to listen and I really want to experience a record and see what it's all about that's when I get out my vinyl I don't ever put vinyl on when I'm washing the dishes because I got to take the gloves off and go change it right you know and it's a big process but I'm still an active listener you know it's not for every time you know but it's allowed me a way to be really into what I'm doing when I sit and focus on listening right. on a record so I'm starting to buy my new records on vinyl the past couple of years cool rather than buying i have down now, what do you listen to it on what do you have a uh, a turntable just a turntable and a speaker out of it or i mean like well i have a it's it's i have a stereo you know it's, it's actually, old school like uh you know it's funny you should ask because my my girlfriend just moved in a few months ago into my place and i had gotten this this whole saga i'm, I'm curious i've never had a nice stereo until like the last year of my life cuz i'm a musician and i'm a i am have a little project studio all my money went into my gear you didn't
1: have a stereo back
0: in the well, day? Well, I had a stereo. Well, back in the day, but it was like a JCPenney all in one unit. Uh, like you never had the separate
1: top. components the whole no, time? I never wow. did
0: because really? all my money went into making ra- records huh. and buying guitar pedals. And like. And then this would blow out. And I got to buy a new tube, set of tubes for my amp or we're going on tour or you know, whatever, you know other hobbies, I mean, I make beer, for example, like I got stuff. I got money going all over the place, man. so I never had an I never ever had a nice stereo. Huh. I actually had a studio, my listening, my critical listening was done in my home studio because I had nice right. studio my sure right, yeah, of course, but I but they weren't so when I got a turntable again a few years ago, it was like, well, am I gonna hook this up to my studio' Cause that's kind of weird. Like, I don't want to have it be, like, my listening friend in my studio. Right. And then, like, through the, you know, benevolence of friends, I got, like, a halfway decent set of speakers, which I promptly blew up because they were too small. Mm -hmm. And then someone else gave me another set of speakers, and then my girlfriend gave me her old set of speakers, and then my other buddy Jay gave me a receiver, which to me, you know, it's probably from the 90s, but to Mm -hmm. me it was, like, the Red October. Oh, my God, this thing's awesome. (laughs) And it had a, you know, turntable input, so then I had a turntable. And then when she moved in, she actually has nice stuff because she has a real job. She's a musician, but she's a smart musician who actually, you know, did. I should. I'm insulting ourselves when I say this, but like, she somehow she works for the Grammys, so she got a sweet spot job where she mm-hmm. can stay close to music. She still plays a bunch of instruments, but she doesn't have to worry about that's her gravy gig. Right. You know, she gets paid to listen to
1: music all day, which is nice. pretty cool. Anyway, we're way off topic with this thing, now. I want to get to. Well, that's work. okay, because I because I like the I like. I've been thinking about, like, getting a—I a, got a new place. I got a condo, yeah. and I'm redoing it. And one of the things I'm thinking about is figuring out how to have a, a turntable stereo kind of situation. Furniture-wise, I tend to like the old consoles, the old— Yeah, the console, the Mad Men style. Yeah, consoles, yeah, stereos. I really like that. I, and I am I'm I know people are, are re- retrofitting it to, with, to be current, so you can put your iPod or whatever you're listening, you know, yeah. as well as the— and it's an interesting thing because I do think that the L- – I, I like the LP. I do like the LP. I think that's a cool thing.
0: I encourage it, man. It's been a revelation for me because the it occurred to me that the CDs, they'll be around for a while, but they're kind of going away. Like Best Buy is not where you go to get music anymore. Yeah.
1: You know, people go to iTunes. Well, we, we thought about this with this record, and I just think about it all the time. It's just like if somebody gives me a CD – it generally goes into my computer, some one you know, my, either my laptop or whatever. and goes in there, and that's where it is, and I never see that CD again. I've got a car that has a CD player, so if, if it's a special CD, I might keep it. But generally speaking, I don't hold on to the CDs. I just I get that music in there. And it's interesting because I just wonder how many people are going to care about CDs if you can just download the darn thing. Or, yeah. I mean, it's just like, why do you need this tiny little disc? It's not the same thing with LPs. The LPs are yeah. a whole different... It fills that niche for me because I always
0: like the liked, CD or LP. Well, the well the CD to a lesser extent because it, it's a smaller disc and there are there are liner notes because I've always do been a liner. you keep your CDs? After I you do. Get them? I do keep my CDs, but and I'm glad I did. Like there, mm-hmm. I've had friends who digitized their whole collections, mm-hmm. and you know, but you know now I'm dealing with like we're getting really deep into technology here. We're dealing with like D to A conversion, A to D conversion. You know, is it, it, the little converters on computers aren't very good. If I plug the headphone output to my stereo, that's not going to sound very good because I still want to listen to it on my stereo in my house, like loud enough to right, walk the around. House,
1: yeah, right. Yeah, the house, You know. yeah, that becomes, a, and that's, uh, <laughs> it's funny because, again, because I just bought a place and I'm thinking about the whole system in the house and it, it's a weird time yeah. now because there, it used to be easy. You had your turntable, you had your receiver or your amp or whatever, and you had your speakers and, and that was just the deal. And it's kind of hard nowadays because, uh, anyway, whatever. <laughs> sorry, we're, we're going off into something. No,
0: this is cool, man. This is, this is real stuff here. But I, let's, let's, let's take a little... All right, sorry. Let's, we'll come back. We'll talk more about technology in a second. This is, uh, this is Brian Whelan, he's yeah. a musician we both know and love. Yes. Brian also plays in Dwight's band. Uh, I'm very... And he, he's kind of like the utility guy. Yes. He plays keyboards, pedal steel... To do some guitar, too. Yes, he'd play some guitar. Some guitar and he sings. And sings. He, and that's like his golden thing, is yeah, he's got yeah. that voice. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, high, yeah. tenor, raspy, kind of Don Henley kind of thing that's going on, which is, you can't learn that. That You either have that or you don't. Right, yeah. You know, so he provides a lot of the harmonies on three pairs, mm-hmm. to his yes, latest record, and on stage, of course. Mm-hmm. Excellent guy. He's been a guest on my show. I call him a friend. Uh, so this is uh, unreleased music. This is brand new
1: music. Yeah, this is <laughs> really brand new. You know, there'll probably be more parts. Tossed yeah. on some of this stuff. You yeah. Know. yeah,
0: so Brian Brian's not gonna get angry that we're playing. He knows. Is he? I told him. Okay, cool. So he'll be he's listening. Hey Brian. Hey Brian. <laughs> we'll get you back on here for the new record, man. So let's give a listen. We'll talk about this in just a second. So this is Brian Whelan. For now, the song is called The Only Thing, and the record yet is untitled. So let's spin this. Brian Whelan on Independence Day. <laughs> mine, yeah. Brian Whelan, and you're playing drums on this as well? Yes. And you're producing this, kind of with, with Brian, yeah, sort of.
1: We we have a co-produce agreement on this one.
0: That's very nice. It's, <laughs> and it's actually, it's, I think that's smart of him, because he's certainly to the point where he can be producing himself, but it's, there were so many projects I've produced on my own where I kind of wish I would have had another I, brain to bounce stuff off of. Yeah. You know, I don't want it to be all me. I'm not that narcissistic. You know, it's good to have other people's input with this stuff, and Brian's stuff is just so fantastic. Already, the raw materials are excellent. You know, it's the whole garbage in, garbage out thing. If you you can't polish a turd, if you start with something great to begin with, it's much. It's just making it better.
1: Yeah, and we seem to have our instincts are in line, pretty much in general speaking. You know, and when we hear some uh, something musically, we're pretty much going in the same direction right away. But sometimes I sometimes I might go in a different direction than than what he was already planning on going. Yeah. And uh, which can be good.
0: Yeah. So let's spend a little more of this because this is, you know, this is stuff that's on, it's, what am I trying to say here? Nobody can hear this anywhere else. No. You know, and they're (laughs) not getting the whole track. So all you bootleggers out there, (laughs) get out your mini disc players, your mini disc recorders. Speaking of mini disc recorders, man, I got a used DAT machine this week for free. Because I've got a, I've been looking for one because I've got a, I've got a few dats of stuff I made back in the day. How many I,
1: tracks are in those things, is it
0: 4? Oh, no, no, it's 2. Or? It's still it's a a two. It's a 2-track stereo okay. thing, but it was the first digital tape that was kind of the industry standard. And then people
1: logged we put all them mastered together. Them. Is that well, what that was, you No,
0: not an ADAT, just a DAT. The a 2-track DAT. DAT. That's wow. what we all mastered to back in the 90s in the early early 2000s yeah something like that anyway little tiny digital tape oh yeah and I've got like a handful of them around stuff <laughs> I did in college and right after that I can't I can't play them you know because I other. I don't have a dat machine mm-hmm. now they're archaic you don't even need them so I got a free one from a guy thanks Eric. <laughs> Uh, but it's, it's such a funny thing to go back and listen to those tracks. But this is uh, this is more Brian Whelan. This is the track "Sugarland," a mm-hmm. uh, little bit of a different feel on this one. So let's spin this. We'll talk about this as well. This is uh, uh, Independence Day artist Brian Whelan with "Sugarland," unreleased music here on Independence Day. a so little teeny tiny taste of Brian yeah. Whelan's upcoming record is there a due date for this where are you guys in terms of the completion of this project halfway through maybe
1: and, uh, well we're still recording tracks we're okay. still recording songs We're probably about six or seven songs that are pretty yeah. pretty solid well you guys pretty... have
0: a busy day job yeah <laughs> and yeah. by day job, I mean playing in Dwight Yoakam's band. Yeah, yeah. Which is pretty cool, man. Yeah. I, I say once again, what a great
1: gravy gig you guys have. What
0: a great... Well, great it, and you, it couldn't happen to nicer and more talented people. Well, thank you.
1: But here's an interesting thing that goes on, along with what you're talking about as being a working musician and stuff. So we're going to be out for two and a half weeks starting Monday. and uh, And we're like kind of working on this record and doing stuff. And we're like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Well, we, it turns out we have a few days off in Nashville. Oh, nice. So we're One hubbing, towns we're hubbing out of Nashville. And so we just saw those open dates as an opportunity. And I called my, my buddy Keith Gaddis, as and He has that new studio. Former Dwight guitar player. Yep. And I said, Keith, we're making a record, and we'd love to record at your studio. So now we're going to go to his studio and record some songs at his studio. And I think actually we'll probably, we're also probably going to play a gig uh, oh, in nice! In Nashville with Brian, doing you know promoting the Decider record. Yeah, that that he did,
0: which is a great record. Yeah, it's a great record. Very very solid. I yeah. mean I, I i love I've loved watching that guy's career, just go up and up and up and up and get playing with bigger and better people all the time. Not that he was ever playing with poor people, uh, but. You know, I'm just a champion of what he's doing because he's doing great stuff.
1: Well, high profile is how I always try to use that term. Yeah, that's a better is way it, to say it. Because ultimately, that's you know how we eventually get the gravy gig and been able to, and then hopefully, if that gravy gig, God forbid, uh, leaves, you can get another gravy gig. Is yeah. by being in high profile situations, and and showing certain you know high profile artists that you're capable of of doing it of doing what they need and it's another you know it's it's another level so it's not necessarily yeah. easy to to provide so once you get there and you're you prove you can do it it's nice yeah. to stay there yeah good people know other good people
0: mm-hmm. you know that's the thing like once you get in it's that hardest thing is getting that first break to get into that kind of circle mm-hmm. because then once you're there you know it's like uh, i always use the example of uh like uh Crystal Talafiero, I think is her name. She started off in John Mellencamp's band, mm-hmm. African American chick who sang a lot of those really great background vocals on the uh like Paper and Fire and mm-hmm. the Lonesome Jubilee Record. <clears throat> Excuse me. Toured toured with him pretty extensively. And then I think wound up playing in the E Street band. Oh wow. Because they're similar type of situations. Sure. They're you know, top-level artists, you learn that someone can do this and has a good attitude and was reliable and right. doesn't have substance abuse problems. Right. And, you know, so that's so what they get the gold star. They're in that upper echelon. They start to get other calls yeah. for other stuff. You know, and then for session musicians, you know, Kenny Aronoff right. or Matt Chamberlain are these guys that are so reliable and so good. I mean, you're working your way up
1: into that thing, Well we'll, well, I hope. We'll, we'll see. You know, I, I'm not sure. I'm hoping personally that the this the producing side of it keeps keeps growing because that that's the thing that i that i do enjoy and i feel like i do bring something to the table that songwriters don't necessarily get from maybe engineers that would be producer or a guitar player that be a producer the drummers being a producer brings a unique perspective to the person's song whether they need it or not but you know maybe if they don't need it then no big deal but with brian for instance you know i'm the guy that understands the kind of music he plays and can like the second we hear something I start playing a beat and he's like yeah that's it yeah know?
0: yeah you develop that rapport and that's a really important thing mm-hmm. and I've had a few players in my life that you know, I could go play a gig with some of these guys, and they never even heard the song before. Right. And I'd say, you know, they just knew by my body language where we were going to go with the song. And I'm not talking just straight up one four five, and we're not talking jazz either. But in this idiom, you know, they would know that the this by the way I kind of looked at them that the bridge was going to be the relative minor, mm-hmm. something like that. And it's it's such a beautiful thing. And that's a I mean I think it's really cool. But you guys are looking at doing some a show, you know, like some sessions while you're on the road because the creative juices are flowing. And I think they inform one another. Mm-hmm. Playing live informs recording, and recording play informs playing live. Sure. And you, you learn different things from either one, and they both feed each other. And it's a, it's a great thing when you can kind of do both, because they seem to be so separate sometimes. You know, I try to do that. Every time I do a record, I try to book shows. I try to get out of the town I'm in so the band is together and then try to set up a date where we can go in the middle of the recording sessions. You know, it's kind of a pain to unplug all the gear. But then you take your gear down, you do a show play some of those songs, and then come back. And it's like, oh, yeah, that worked really well. Yeah. I played a hit there I hadn't played before because we were in front of an audience,
1: and I'm going to incorporate that. This segues perfectly into the Paul Chesney CD that I produced, and we did uh, a residency every Wednesday at uh, the Kibbutz Room. Okay. For about three. Canters. Yeah, for about three months, and just um, worked out all the songs there and just kept working them and, and dialing them in and, and and more girls would show up at the shows and the, once we saw them dancing all that stuff so we booked back to
0: the girls again it yeah. was
1: it's literally in fact we booked two days in the studio and we recorded these live um, two days in the studio and just brought girls and booze <laughs> into the studio <laughs> to create the, the same vibe that we'd been doing you know the, everything that we had And that had been just so successful it was just like this music is great the people are going nuts this is just going awesome and uh so i had us record every all the songs basically we would um, start uh we i had a tempo figured out have the click track on after about four bars let go of the click track and just let us play record four or five takes of us doing it live as a band and then later on picked the best cherry picked everything that was the best of you know and, and and it was awesome because every single time no matter you know we weren't a perfect band but we were perfect together every time yeah so, because we had been playing these things at shows and we were so used to it so if we did one song four times the final chorus Maybe a little bit faster, but every single time it was a little bit faster. Just, just exactly the way it was. So I mean, you could do the editing and jump to and from, and it it sounded fine because we were a band and we were playing the songs just like we had always been playing. There's something to the
0: synergy of being in a band, man. It's like the
1: greatest thing in the world. This is awesome.
0: I don't play out much these days because I don't have a band, and I I can play a million solo shows, but it's just not interesting to me. I get bored very quickly. But then that shows, and then I shouldn't just do. It. I should stay home and play with my dog, mm-hmm. which is mostly what I do these days. But I need to get a band, so that's maybe the next goal. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> enough about me. Uh, Paul Chesney, this is another thing you've produced. This came out a few years ago, right? This yeah. Yeah. Is... 2004,
1: 2005.
0: Okay, so not that terribly long ago. It seems like only yesterday. Mm. So this is the track "Wichita Slash Dark Love." Uh, the album is "Wet Dog Man." The album, or excuse me, the artist is Paul Chesney. Paul Chesney, yeah, something else you've worked with. Dig this, man! But I love hyphen. I like when songs have two names. <laughs> I've, He's I've got run it. across that. You know, where you don't know what to call it, so you just kind of give it two names and, and let it be. And I also like it when bands have parentheses in the names. Awesome. Like Norwegian Wood, this bird has you, flown. Exactly. Excellent. So cool because it could be either one. Yeah. And it probably was at one point.
1: Paul's a great songwriter and really good performer. Yeah, I highly suggest people go out and hear Paul Chesney
0: play. Yeah, maybe we'll put links to all these uh, be artists on the website so people can check them out. Because, man, real music is something, you know, there's a lot of music being made right now, but I try to get people turned on to, you know, real. What is real? But this stuff is real, you know? And it's I try to get people turned on to real music so they can go check it out and get a taste for it. I think everything seems so packaged now and shrink-wrapped. And cryogenically sanitized, and this is this is good stuff. It's
1: well, I think it's hard for everybody. Whether you're the artist trying to find a place to play for people, or if you're a, a patron of of the arts and you want to go hear bands play, it's just like, well, where do you go? It's just, yeah. It's I mean, there are places to go. It's I mean, it's not that desperate, but um, yeah, because I guess because everybody and everybody's now picking up a guitar and playing. It's there's, there's doesn't seem to be the same kind of filter system that there used to be with all the music that's presented to us over the internet and over there, you know, it's just like, yeah. Uh,
0: well, but, man, I'll tell you one thing in light of that. I'm just happy that people are playing guitars again. I'm starting to see more guitars, seriously, like out on the street walking around. Like for a few years there, everybody wanted to be a DJ. All you would see with the the 1200s. All you would see with the techniques and stuff like that. And that's cool. It's its own skill. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to take away from that. But it doesn't jazz me the way people playing real wood instruments. Those were alive Mm -hmm. at one point. You know, a guitar was alive. Drums were alive. You know, and that's real you can't get by just dropping a needle and doing technology stuff. So that I will dog on those guys just a little bit. Make something, man. (laughs) Anyway... I'll leave it. Get off my soapbox. So, man, you've got dates. This is I'm Mitch Marine. You've been my guest tonight. Thank you so much for coming out here, sharing your experience. Uh, Thank you for having me, Joe. Fun, it's fun to get that. to know you. Uh, hear this, all the stuff you've been working on, all these tunes, and you've got dates. Man, you've, I'm looking at the schedule here. You've got dates completely through the end of the year, through December twentieth. We are pretty busy. So odds are, if you're uh, if you want to see Mitch marine play drums this summer, drop by DwightYokum.com, <laughs> yeah. and there's a list. I'm looking at probably I don't know 40 or 50 dates on here. So, for example, if you're in Elizabeth, Indiana, you get the Horseshoe uh, Southern uh, Horseshoe Southern Indiana Festival of some kind. It's July 19th. Bonnaroo. We're Bonnaroo. Playing. I've got Bonnaroo. Everybody knows Bonnaroo. Uh, I've got some friends playing at Bonnaroo. You know, they're in. You're in Des Moines. You're in Pueblo. You're in Omaha. You're in Vegas. You're all over the place, so yes. odds are you can find Mitch in a town near you sometime this summer. And if you want to be friends with him, you can also drop by facebook.com/slash/mitchmarine. Couldn't be, it's 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 like my name. You can't misspell it. It's impossible. <laughs> Idiot proof is what I like to say. Pretty so, much. Uh, also he's working on great stuff. Brian Whelan, Jimmer Podraski, Dan Byrne stuff coming up between now and the end of the year. Uh, would you ever do a solo record? Do you think? Would you ever I, write tunes?
1: Uh, no. I mean, it may ha- I mean, Maybe I should, someday. I, I should say no, never. I mean, I mean, I, I won't say that. You never know. Because if you say I, I no, just... that means it's probably going to happen. Okay, no. <laughs> I think it should. Anyway,
0: all right. Well, thanks to Mitch Marine, also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton, and to Valentino Rivera and Hector Lozano from Lancer Radio. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. If you do anything this week, please be good to one another.